The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, downtown church family. Um, I am pleased to be with you this morning, but unfortunately, uh, it is uh, one that is filled with grief sorrow and sadness and much of that is because of our current racial strife uh, and current issues dealing with people who have been oppressed and marginalized for decades and we all have um, either seen the news watched videos but this is not the first time and We know that what we are experiencing causes an interruption in our lives. Uh, But that interruption is important. And it's important because much of the time we want to blow past these situations. And so that interruption that we feel, that tension that we are all holding to right now, I want you to understand that it should call us to an urgency, an urgency that is not necessarily manufactured due to trying to feel a particular way, but it's an urgency understanding that people are losing their lives and people are having a difficult time accepting where we are in reality because it should not be this way. For so long, when we think about the question, what is man, Plato, Socrates, many Greek philosophers were able to simply think about the notion of what is man. But beloved, I I, I would say that there are so many individuals who have not had the pleasure to enjoy thinking in abstract philosophical categories as to what is man because many have to declare because of the color of their skin that they simply are a man. That's why we find ourselves in the Imago Dei, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. I also want us to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, because I want us to understand that God has made humanity. And in making humanity, he has given humanity in dig- his inherent dignity, worth, and value. 
Meet me in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Uh, Sister Donna had already read our first portion. And the Bible says here in verse seven of chapter two in Genesis. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathe, breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. Very words of the Lord. My question to us this morning is why can't we breathe? Why can't those who are in our society suffering due to so many of the injustices, why can't they breathe? Why can't we breathe? Why are we suffocated by racism, bigotry, and discrimination? Why are we suffocated by classism? Why are we suffocated by so many different systems and processes that cause us to be divided? Why is it difficult to breathe when you're overly conscious over whether the comp the complexion of your skin, your, your skin is a threat in our society? Oh, it's difficult to breathe when police Brutality threatens the lives of black and brown people. Oh, it is difficult to breathe, beloved, because what happens when you are in a society that bears this level of hate that tells you that you shouldn't look a particular way or that your skin or you are valued a particular way, that you are three fifths compromised or that you have to be a you have to live a particular in a particular place. You have to be a particular place. A group of individuals you are labeled essentially it's hard to breathe it's hard to breathe when you cannot express your anger your sadness and your sorrows when you have to go to your corporate office when you have to go to your law firm when you have to go to your UPS job when you have to bag groceries at Kroger when you have to help somebody through the drive-through line when you are working in your government official office it's hard to breathe when you go in and no one acknowledges that you can express your pain. You feel that you have to hold your sadness in. You have to hold your grief in. You have to hold your sorrow in. Why? Because you feel robbed. Robbed from the fact that you need to breathe because you feel the walls are closing in. It's difficult to breathe. It's difficult to breathe when we have to report back to work and make it seem as if everything is okay while we're living in this trauma. It's difficult to breathe when our leaders don't get all the, are always asking, won't we wait for all of the facts? It's difficult to breathe when someone calls the cops on you because you're walking through their neighborhood. It's difficult to breathe when you look at the Nextdoor app or your Ring app and you simply see people making stereotypes or racially profiling others and making them suspicious because of the color of their skin. It's difficult to breathe when you see on social media Ahmaud Arbery and you hear of Breonna Taylor and you see George Floyd all die and they were not supposed to. Taken from us. It's difficult to breathe when you watch that because now you're asking yourself, am I 
next. It's difficult to breathe when you're asking yourself, does anybody hear my voice? It's difficult to breathe when you feel as if you're alone. Begin to hyperventilate when you think about the next time something like this will happen. The next time we are having to deal with these situations. Why can we not breathe? That's the question. And that's what we begin to unpack because I know many of us find it hard to breathe in our nation. Find it hard when we are coming to revisit situations where it's been proclaimed that we are post-racial society. I think that these yet-to-be United States make it clear that we are not post-racial. The reason it is difficult to breathe is because we have not acknowledged the radical corruption that bears the hatred and ignorance in our society. We have not told the truth of the terrors in our society. We try to hide behind a false narrative and a false history, which makes it difficult to breathe. This morning, I want to talk to you as your pastor. I want to meet you where you are. I want to speak from my heart. I love you. And we are family. And family has uncomfortable conversations all the time. Although you may hear me mentioning minorities, I am not excluding anyone. This issue is our issue, all of our issue. It is a family issue, and I want to speak to this matter biblically and from my vantage point as a black man. And in doing that, I, I thought it was appropriate that we read Genesis Chapter 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, which proclaims that we have all been created in the image of God and have received the breath of life into our nostrils. So the question is, is it okay for us to feel this way? Is it okay for us to feel anger, depression, grief, sadness, Sorrow, is it okay? Just the other day when I was um, talking to my son, I, I needed to ask for forgiveness. And I felt it was incredibly humbling to ask my five-year-old son, would he forgive his daddy? And he responded with a powerful and freeing phrase. When I said, son, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? He said, it's okay, daddy. These words are so powerful because they begin to help me release the emotions of shame and guilt or the emotions that of sadness that I felt at that moment because I hurt his feelings. But he let me know that that it was OK. I, I don't want you to think that I'm just simply talking about forgiveness. I'm saying that he let me know as a five year old that it's OK to feel what I am feeling. It was Dominique Reynolds when Philando Castile was killed right next to her in Minnesota uh, 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 in 2016. Her boyfriend was lying dead in the vehicle with her daughter in the back seat. 
The whole time she had them on Facebook Live and in having them on Facebook Live, she didn't necessarily understand the grief at the moment. She until she was in police custody, her and her daughter sitting and you hear her wailing and crying, wailing and crying because right there she witnessed her boyfriend murdered. But it was the words of her daughter that stood out to me because she said, Mommy, I'm here. It's okay. I just want to tell you that I'm here. That we're here and it's okay not to be okay. I want to tell you it's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be mad. It's it's okay not to want to talk about it. It's okay to recognize that this is traumatic. It's okay to release the pain. It does not mean that you are frail and weak. It means that you have been created as a human being that feels the pains of racism. We are not robots. We cannot ignore pain that we endure, we, nor can we overcome it by simply trying to will ourselves over it. And what I mean by that is that we can't say and ignore what has happened and try to just move on. We can't sing we shall overcome without understanding that there is an issue to overcome. That's what I mean by simply thinking that we'll wake up tomorrow and it'll all be over. No, we have to face these things and we can't do it without God. We are dependent upon the very creator that formed us to act, to think and feel our whole being. That is important. Even before the fall of humanity, we were also we were caused to feel all of creation, enjoy all of creation. We were called not simply to be human beings without emotion. We were called to be human beings acknowledging our emotions. This is important because many of us skip the five stages of grief. Oftentimes we don't acknowledge them. And I, I want to, to, to pastor you through this grieving moment. I want to pass to you through this because I know so many of us, my friends and loved ones included, have walked away from the faith or even thought about walking away from the faith because we have not been permitted to grieve properly. There were five stages into grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. When we think about denial in this, in this stage of grief, you were trying to pull through loss and devastation. You ever had some loss or devastation? You're trying to simply ask yourself the question, what's the meaning of life? I feel overwhelmed and hopeless at this time because things continue to happen that are causing me to be in shock and be numb so I cannot move forward with life. What does it mean? And you're trying to cope as you, as you are in this uh, stage of grief and denial, trying to come to grips with that loss. You're trying to convince yourself that this is not reality. Meanwhile, you're coming, into, you're coming to accept that, yes, indeed, this is reality. You know what it means when you lost your spouse or when you lost your mother, or when you lost your sister, brother or cousin or whatever, that, that loved one, that best friend. When you lost that individual, you understood what it meant to deny Deny until you walked past the casket and you seen their body laying there. 
And some of us still deny it after seeing that, that body laying there. You said to yourself, this is not real. It's just a dream. Let me pinch myself. But this is a stage of grief that, that is required for us to heal. So is anger. Anger is key in the healing process because it seems as if it's endless and that you it is not necessary, but it is very necessary. And we don't have to manage our anger. We don't have to tell ourselves not to be anger, angry. We are taught this narrative that we are to fear our anger or fear people that are angry. But it is not healthy to simply disregard your anger. It helps you grieve. And some of us are ashamed to be angry with God at times. But if you read the Psalms, there is so much expression of anger to God. And the reason being is because God is not insecure about who he is. He created us uh, 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 with emotions. He created us in order for us to explain how we feel, express how we feel. And he wants us to use those emotions in order to tell him, God, I'm upset. And how long? Why do I? have to be this way and it doesn't have to be filtered it doesn't have to be a particular way you can lament to God and he will hear you I know some of you are saying I don't want to be perceived as the angry black person or the angry brown person or the angry uh, a white person the angry Asian person you you, you don't want to be perceived as an angry individual but can I assure you, because oftentimes we do hear about an angry black person. It's not about you being angry and hiding that. It's about you knowing that God has given you the ability to heal and he's created you this way to express that anger through screaming, yelling, journaling, talking to someone, seeking counsel, grieving Walking through the process and not ignoring your pain because the pain is real and it's underneath your anger. I want you to I want you to understand that there is there are so many angry people today. You see them in the streets protesting. You see the uproar in our nation. And it's because so many people have not had the opportunity to grieve. And so all of what they have been feeling and because they have not been permitted to be angry and they've been in this season of denial, fighting against this pain, trying to ignore it. But they can't. They have to face it. And what happens when it's anchored in something, we see it expressed a particular way. There was a story of a lady who lost her husband about six years ago. And when she lost her husband. People would ask her, how are you doing? And she was bubbly and smiling, saying that God is going to keep me and then I'm going to be okay. I know my husband is in a better place. And although the day was true, one day her cat died. And when her cat died, she was weeping overwhelmingly. Her friends were asking, why are you so distraught over this cat? And she began to tell them, it's not the cat. I come to the Realization that I lost the last thing that was close to me. And I wasn't able to express my grief. And I want to tell you. Don't hide your pain. 
It may be uncomfortable. It may be ugly, but it is real. And it means that you will go into a direction of healing. Nor do we need to bargain. That's another part of this grieving process. We don't need to bargain with God. We don't need to tell him, God, I, I, if you just take this pain away, I don't want to I don't want to feel it anymore. I don't want to feel the full degree of this hurt. If you just take it away, I'll be OK. I'll, I'll do this. And I'm telling you, you don't need to bargain with God because he's not here to simply alleviate your pain. He's here to comfort you. He's here to show compassion. He is the same God that says that if you are heavy laden, if your burden is overwhelming, you need to come to him accept the invitation and he will give you rest. Also, depression is another aspect that we oftentimes misconstrue as a mental in, uh, mental Ill, illness, but it is appropriate and a great sign of loss in the grieving process. Yes, we may feel sad, want to cry, loss of appetite, <clears throat> sleep deprived. The situation might be so, so traumatic that you may physically ache and have physical pains. And when we feel the sense of loss becomes more of a reality, and what is it? It's depressing. No one can tell me that watching the videos or watching the news, looking at all of the media outlets, no one can tell me that we are not suffering a depression as a nation right now. And family, many of us are suffering a depression as a church right now. And rightfully so, because we ought to grieve. The acceptance is the last part. I want you to know that going through this grieving process, it doesn't mean that it's totally systematic. You can find yourself going back and forth throughout this grieving process. But here it is with acceptance. It's not simply to say that I am going to move on and that all things are right. Everything is OK and I don't have to look back. No, that's not the case. Acceptance is to say that there is a reality of injustice that require that, that leads to us grieving. And when we acknowledge that we cannot function this way no more. And we are desperate as a nation for change. We are desperate for for God to move in our lives and in our bodies. Why are we so desperate for God? It's because if we don't understand that he is the one that can help us, that he is the one that loves us more than anything, we'll begin not to trust in him because we haven't grieved appropriately. Here's the point. If we don't allow ourselves to grieve through this process. We don't allow ourselves to uh, allow the grieving process to play all the way out. What you know what will happen? We'll continue to struggle to breathe. We'll struggle to breathe as a as a church, a downtown church. We'll struggle to breathe as individuals. We'll struggle to breathe as a nation in our communities. We'll struggle to breathe in the city of Memphis. We will always struggle when we skip the grieving process. It's important to realize that there is nothing on earth that we can depend on more than God. In other words, don't move too quick past your pain. Embrace it. I remember always trying to save my son from falling. When he began to walk, it was easy for him to fall, as many of us know. 
all too well, he, he, he would get up, start moving in a direction, and I didn't want him to feel the pain. So if I seen him falling, or if he did fall, I would scoop him up right away. Either set him on his feet, or I would begin to hug him, just so he wouldn't cry. As soon as I heard a whimper, I would say, don't, don't, you don't have to cry. But I, my wife helped me. Serena said, baby, you, you need to let him fall because he has to feel that pain. He has to realize that you can't hover over him and you have to allow him to know what it means to fall. As your pastor, I want to tell you, don't move past your pain. I want to tell you that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. And we are not going to allow ourselves to become more divided because we don't grieve, to become more hateful because we don't breathe, to become way more callous and cynical because we don't grieve. This reaction oftentimes becomes destructive whenever we say to ourselves, we hate an individual. Or we don't want to deal with a people group anymore. Or we make caricatures of certain people groups. Even when we look at these riots, people expressing their pain. Many of us are saying to, to them, why are they doing this? Calling them thugs. Saying that they're doing things that they ought not to be doing. And rightfully so. No one should be looting. No one should be rioting in terms of destroying our communities. But we can't move past their pain to understand their trauma. We can't simply say to ourselves that they just need to wait until this goes to the courts. No, we, we need counselors, psychiatrists. We need people speaking into the lives of these young people and all of our nation because we are hurting. And if we don't acknowledge our hurt, if we don't acknowledge our pain, because if we, don't, we can't hide behind our wealth. We can't hide behind uh, uh, our success. We can't hide behind our achievements. We can't simply say, and, and this is me being completely honest, we can't say as black people, I, I, I just, I'm just going to pursue excellence and then I'm I'm moving past this. We can't move past it. I think I already told y'all a story before. When I was young and in the desegregation program, I was immediately labeled when I went to a, another school, a school in the suburbs. And now I was in that school. I was pushed over to the side. The teacher didn't want to teach me. And I was perceived as a troubled child. My grades were horrible. They thought that I needed to be in remedial classes. But come to find out later in life, all of it was due to the fact that I was being discriminated against because of the color of my skin. And for so long, what I held on to was that I wasn't good enough until a teacher named Miss Lowe, when I went to a different school, an African-American woman looked at me and she told me that I was good enough. Her words gave me the ability, even at that age, to grieve, but also breathe. Knowing that my education did not 
stop. And I was not defined by how someone else called me names, how kids my own age called me racial slurs. Much of it blocked from my mind until stories begin to come back to me. And I want to say, I know many of us have blocked some of the trauma, the racial trauma in our hearts and our minds because we don't want to deal with it. But I'm telling you, we got to face the pain. And when we walk through this grieving process, it helps us not to rush past our healing. And this healing process is not a time limited process. It's our job to allow this process to take however long we need. And we need to create space here at Downtown Church where we can legitimately grieve and legitimately lament. That's it. A safe space to grieve is our church. A safe place to grieve is our body. It was Brian Stevenson, a lawyer and the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. He told a story about a child that he represented. And this child that he represented <clears throat> was put into an adult jail. And a part of that child's story was that he grew up in an abusive home. His mother's boyfriend would come home and beat her every day. He would get drunk and put himself in a drunken stupor and next to, you know, fall asleep after he's harmed her. One day he came home and punched her right in the face. He punched her unconscious. Boy goes and runs to his mother and he finds himself trying to wake her up. But she's her body is limp. This boy is a small boy, but he looked at his hands and he looked at around him and his hands were filled with blood. He thought that his mother was dead. So he rushed into the room and there it was, the boyfriend laying on the bed, and he knew where the weapon was. Pulled out the handgun and pointed it to the man, and he began to shake as he was pointing and holding that trigger. The man stopped snoring and bow. He pulls the trigger and shoots him right in the head. The man was dead on arrival. That boy was sitting in a room with Brian Stevenson trying, as Brian was trying to, understand what was going on with his case. Brian said that he tried to talk to him and the boy would not respond. And he told him, listen, I, I, I need you to talk to me in order for me to help you. And the boy still didn't say anything. Brian began to try to hold a conversation. He tried to ask him questions that would probe him, but yet the boy did not say a, a, say a word. Brian got up and he walked around to the other side of the table and he just leaned against the boy. And as he leaned against this little boy, a little boy began to sob and Brian put his arm around him and the boy just began to volunteer information about his experience in the jail. He didn't tell him about his childhood. He didn't tell him about his case. He told him the first day that he got into the jail cell, he was assaulted by several men. The next day that he was raped by several men, he said that he had lost count how many times that he had been assaulted and raped. That trauma was so hard for that little boy. But what I found as Brian was explaining, and he says this, is that the process that he had taken going to meet that boy and meeting other kids who had experienced same traumatic situations and things that caused them to be in unjust circumstances. What he said was there's a process of proximity. The boy was able to sob and tell him the story after sitting there for 20 minutes because Brian 
moved from the other side of the table to be next to him. There are so many false narratives that says that that little boy, his fear and his anger should be perceived in a negative light. And we have to we have to debunk that narrative. A new narrative is that the process that we need to be proximal to one another helps us to have deeper change. Because when you think about Greg, uh, uh, George Floyd, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, the names, the list goes on. What happens is a lot of times we respond and things happen because there's no deep rooted proximity in our lives in understanding one another. And I'm not just talking about sitting at your dinner table and having a couple conversations. I'm talking about some of us having to build new friendships, new relationships and new understandings of people around us. Because if we are not proximate more than a text message, more than a am sorry, more than simply saying to ourselves that we don't want to be around community in, anymore, that will cause us to be in isolation, isolation, and then loneliness, loneliness and sadness. And you fall into a deeper hurt and pain. Many of us as minorities, we can't be suspicious of absolutely every single one of our white brothers and sisters and white brothers and sisters. We can't be suspicious of every single one of our black and brown uh, and Asian brothers and sisters. We cannot do this. It's not healthy. In order for us to fight racism, we ought to be, as Ibram Kendi says, anti-racist. And I want to put right under that is that as I push it a little further, in order to know how to be anti-racist, we have to understand the dignity the worth and the value that humanity has inherently. There are so many organizations that win people over with a false gospel simply because they give them dignity, worth, and value. The church and the Bible does that. I remember the other day, just a couple days ago, I took my son to Gibson, not Gibson, I'm sorry, Midtown Donut. And I took him to the donut shop. We went in, we ordered our deal. We came back out and I'm laying off the donuts, so there were no donuts for me. As we were pulling out, I hear a man yelling my name. I mean, yelling at me, not necessarily my name. And he asked for some money. And I gave the man uh, some money to get something to eat. And my son proceeded to ask me, Daddy, why did you give that man something? And I told him, well, son, the Bible teaches me that when I am kind to those that are in um, uh, uh in need that I am lending to God. But more so than anything, that I see someone who has inherent dignity, worth, and value, and I don't need to say to him uh, that he doesn't deserve an opportunity to eat, a place to sleep, etc. Why am I saying that? Because sometimes I don't have any money on me. And so when I see someone who, who is in need and they ask me, I look them in their eyes and say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have anything to give you today. Why is that important? 
because many of us need to look in the eyes of one another in our communities and not ignore the pain and say sorry. I, I don't have the words. I don't know how to, I don't know how to work this situation out. Many of us need to look each other and look, look, look ourselves in the mirror and say sorry because you beat up on yourself for so long just because of your identity and the color of your skin. Why are you saying sorry? You're saying sorry to yourself because you need to understand that God created you in order for you to have inherent dignity, worth, and value created in his image, in his likeness, so that you will glorify him throughout the world. That's not light. Because we read in 1 John chapter 3 where he continues to make our likeness in him affirmative through the way that he appears to us in glory. And the redemptive process, another process, a gospel process is for us to be restored into the newness of his image, the renewed image of God all day, every day through sanctification as a community. This means that we need to create a safe space in our church that affirms individuals and does not negate the way that they feel. We have the opportunity to give one another this space by offering unfiltered lamentations and grief. We don't need it to become overly concerned whether one is politically correct because they're crying, they're weeping. We don't need to be trying to hold ourselves together if we need to move towards healing. We need to create a space where these things can happen. There is no family, no relationship that can move forward without tension. I believe good tension moves us forward and bad tension moves us backward. Why did I say that? Because I remember when a couple was a friends, they would always say, we don't argue. We never argue. And I found that that was interesting because I said, if you don't argue, then you may not be communicating. Confrontation is not a bad thing. It may be uncomfortable, but it's not bad. And in order for us to create the spaces that we need, we need to all be in uncomfortable situations. We need to choose to be uncomfortable in order to transcend the boundaries that continue to divide us. So now here's the question. I already asked you why can't we breathe, but now I have a question of why or how do we breathe? I believe we breathe when we think about the breath of life that's given to us in a very deep and spiritual way that gives us hope. Hope that goes past what we see physically and salvation in order for us to breathe. That's why when we read Genesis 2 and 7 where it says, then the Lord formed man out of the door, out of the dust of the ground. Meaning there's a personal and intimate relationship there. And then what does he do? He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, giving life into humanity. Why? Because humanity is a living creature a living thing, a created thing. And through the creation narrative, you see that he has given all living creatures life. But it is interesting in how he is giving humanity the, the breath of life, a very personal touch to humanity. And we see this when the psalmist says in 9, Psalm 94, verse 9, 
He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Even when we look at uh, Psalm 139, 14 through 16, where he has said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, where we also see that he is saying that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of earth, of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed substance. God seen us when we were unformed. He's seen us when we were not uh, 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 a, a, a fully put together as a human being. God knew us in a more intimate way and that gives us the ability to breathe because now we know that we live, we move, and we have our being in Christ and him alone. We don't have to hold our breath because he has given us victory. We don't have to wait for victory because he has already accomplishment, accomplished it. It was Jesus who suffered the cross so that we may be healed, rescued, restored and renewed. When we understand that, then we can say to ourselves, yes, we indeed can breathe because we have hope. Yes, indeed, we can breathe because justice will come rolling down. We can breathe because we have a renewed vision. We can breathe because we understand that God's promises is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is one that can understand exactly where we are. This means that we don't have to suffocate. Nor do we have to be paralyzed. But we breathe the way that we grieve, knowing that it, it's okay not to be okay. We can breathe in our community, creating spaces that allow anger, denial, depression, the whole entire grief process to play out. We indeed can breathe, beloved, and let us do that together. Let me pray for us. God, I, I think about the fact that all things are possible because you are the one who allows us to breathe. You say that we are human beings created in your image and your likeness, and we have the ability to proclaim that in the way that we live. I pray, God, that you begin to heal us those that are hurting right now, I pray a special prayer that you begin to comfort, you begin to restore. God, you begin to speak directly to their hearts, the ones that want to give up on the church. I pray, God, that you grab them. You help them to see that you created the church to be a body of individuals coming together collectively to function together. And Lord, as we do, I pray, Jesus, in all of your faithfulness that you bring about revival, you bring about unity, you help us, Lord God, to glorify you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people sit together. Amen. Um, as we continue to worship, beloved, uh, let us worship in our giving. Um, we all should be giving in uh, the way that we give ourselves spiritually, but then physically and tangibly. And so the way that we give here at Downtown Church um, is you can simply text 73256 and Downtown Church in all lowercase, um, 73256. 
downtown church in all lowercase, uh, and you can give accordingly. Let us continue to worship God by doing so.